morning, church. How good it is to be with you. My name is Andy Maddock. I'm lead pastor here. And as we gather together this morning and continue our series, I forgot to announce it at the beginning of my sermon last service. So I wrote it and I circled it on my outline today. The tags you were given as you came in. You might be sitting with them and say, this has been a fascinating little thing uh, that uh, I've gone unused. There are pens in the pew backs in front of you. Uh, throughout our sermon time today, I want you to think about a prayer that you're carrying with you today. It might be one that you're struggling to let go of, or it might be new, something that's come to you that you are in prayer for. Either way, these are going to serve as prayers. You don't have to put your name to them. These aren't formally prayer requests, uh, but following the model of the first service during our time of communion, we're going to offer these uh, on our tree, uh, as you see it here, just as surely as they did at nine o'clock and share our prayers with God in a practical and moving way. We've been talking about wrestling with doubt, finding faith, and we've gone through topics like God and Scripture, uh, other religions, hell, heaven, resurrection, uh, and uh, this week we come to a conversation about prayer, but before we get to it, I just want to lift up one thought. There has come to me in this last week a spoken, unshared doubt that's come up, and it is this Somebody reached out to me, and I thought it was brilliant, because so many people have reached out with their great questions in this series, and the question was this, what if these aren't my doubts? What if this sermon series hasn't touched on what I'm feeling and what I'm dealing with, or I've had a sense of confidence about what God is doing, who God is for me, what heaven is like, who goes to hell? I didn't need all of this, and I thought, boy, that's just a brilliant question to ask. And first, I want to say that's, that's an awesome place to be if that's where you are, your life is truly, as John Wesley describes it, a respiration with God, where you're breathing in and breathing out and experiencing the divine. You are trusting to what God is doing in your story. And I've known people like that in my life. More often than not, they're older, widowed women who just have that confidence that Jesus is with them no matter what. Uh, as they walk through their day, it's as if he's sitting at the end of the, the couch right there with them in the midst of uh, you know, their life. They're never alone. They're never lonely. They always have Jesus with them. And I think that's a brilliant way to live. That isn't how I've been living. Uh, I have my own struggles, doubts, and questions. Uh, and this series is in large part rooted in the questions that people authentically have. And in a church that values the sense that everyone has a story, I think this ought to be a place where the people with these doubts can come and sit in the pew side by side with people who have these convictions and not these doubts. That we might grow and learn from one another in God's grace and mercy. So I thank that church person for reaching out and saying, "This is God, God, I don't doubt God. I don't doubt God's scriptures. What a beautiful place to be. Because today is a conversation about what happens and does God answer prayers? What happens in our prayers and what happens when God does not answer our prayers? I, Tim Thompson played under Camille Sermon's Sweet Hour of Prayer. What a beautiful old 19th century church hymn, written by a guy by the name of William Walford, by the way. He's a British pastor. Things always fascinated about me, uh, him, him fascinated me about him is that he's blind from birth. But preacher and poem writer, and if you know that he's blind, and then you think through the lyrics of that song, and even when he bids me seek his face, or it's in a sweet hour of prayer where I see the face of God, He's got a very, very powerful understanding of prayer. Black History Month. And I'm keen on some of our Negro spirituals and what they teach us. Right? Recording artist Bobby McFerrin calls them soul prayers regardless of context. 
The national expert on spirituals talks about the idea that the Negro spiritual is a prayer to God even when it's not talking about prayer or God. They're a reminder of a freedom and a possibility and a longing. But they're a pair that always speak to me. I think they're fabulous. The first is, it's me, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. My favorite part of that song, the third verse. Not the deacon, not the preacher, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's something I can do, but it's not something I can do for you. It's a beautiful one. Love that particular spiritual. The other one that really strikes me is, I'm going to live so God can use me. You get to the last verse in that song, it's, I'm going to pray so God can use me anywhere, Lord, anytime. It is a reminder to you and to me that our prayer opens us up to the possibility that God would use us. It's no different than the words some 300 years before on the lips of St. Francis of Assisi. Make me an instrument of thy peace. Put me to doing. Put me to your good work. We come to a conversation about does God answer prayer? It's a powerful doubt because it's rooted in a number of experiences that folks have had with God and with the Christian tradition when it has come to their life in prayer. One of the expressions of doubt in that are the stories of unheard prayers. What does it mean when it seems like our answer has been maybe or wait and see? Where it's gone unfulfilled and unmet? Or if it's even no? Or perhaps most difficult when the answer seems to be a tremendous silence. Baby Pastor Andy, some two decades ago, had the opportunity right out of seminary uh, to work alongside my pastoral ministry as a chaplain at Long Beach Memorial Hospital. And that was a time in my life where I went in with all of the answers to all of the questions. I had a degree that said I had a master's in divinity. What more do I need? I lift up the name of Reverend Dr. Karen Reddick, who was the supervisor of that program. I came in and we decided what my ministry tasks would be with and for her. And she put me to work in the perinatal loss support group. Every week I sat down with parents who lost their infants just before birth, in the birth process, or in the eight weeks that followed their birth or time in the NICU. I shared their grief and their story. Then she had me start to visit those same families in the midst of that exact crisis, waiting and watching. And the beautiful gift, I think the reason God put me there and what Karen saw that I did not in the midst of my confidence is I needed to be humbled with a sense of, for all the things I know to be true, there are times, particularly with that community, where by a three-to-one scale, the answer is not what we have prayed for. It's not what we've prepared for. It's not what we've trained for. It's not what we've converted our house to be. It's not the room that we've prepared and all of the expectations that we've made. It's not the names we've picked. The answer was not what we prayed for. Another place where this doubt manifests itself, not just in unheard prayers, is there are people who feel like in the midst of these deep questions and these deep struggles, there are people who pray for the most trivial things. God, I waited to shop till three days before Christmas. I believe in you, so please give me a good parking space right by the store. I have a mother-in-law who used to give thanks to God every time she got a good parking space. 
And my thought was, do you honestly believe God cares about how far you have to walk into Macy's over and against starving children, people in war zones, those who are terrified, those who are praying for family members with cancer, those who are suffering grief? But God cares about where you park your minivan. That's your prayer? It feels trivial. And if those are the prayers that God is in the business of answering, then God is trivial. Third layer of the doubt question and the struggle that people have is something that I've seen in Christian communities, but I've seen far more frequently maybe with our TV evangelist brothers and sisters. And that's the theological blame game. If you didn't get what you prayed for, you didn't believe hard enough, you didn't pray hard enough, you hadn't been good enough, right? You're not right with God. What sin are you hiding? What doubt do you have? What fear has gone unspoken that God did not listen to you? You pile all that on top of each other and you begin to get this ferocious sense of why pray in the first place? It's complicated by our Scriptures. I don't often say that, but it is complicated by our Scriptures. Because even on the lips of Jesus, we have teachings from the Gospels about the nature of prayer and our relationship with God. One such text from the Gospel of John says, If you remain in Me and My words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Oh Lord, give me the close parking spot. When that works out, God's granted your wish. I hope you didn't have to cash one in on something more important later in the day. There's a tension to this idea. You also have in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus replying, Truly I tell you, if you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can say to the mountain, Go and throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. These are the words of God for the people of God. And so we say, thanks be to God. But in light of our conversation and our struggles with our own prayer life, these seem to be texts that challenge, not encourage. I can barely get myself moving through the work of prayer. What hope do I have in moving a mountain, God? First thing is this. I need to confess to you that Jesus loves to preach in hyperbole. That's a big fancy word for meaning big fancy ideas. Jesus loved the idea of pushing the boundary of expectation so that we might learn something from it. He says, to, you know, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better to enter the kingdom of God, lame and blind, than it is to not enter the kingdom of God. There are very, 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 very few Christian religious traditions where that literalism of that has emphasized the idea of self-mutilation rather than grace and forgiveness. Jesus says it's more difficult for a rich person to get into heaven than for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle. Hyperbole. Not so that we might say, well, then it doesn't matter and it doesn't count, but to allow us to say it is that important for us. Let's pay attention to our life in faith, what we do with our resources, and who we are meant to be. So when he wants to talk about mountains falling into the sea, one of the simple truths is, is I think there were a lot of people who were reassured by the fact that the mountain stays where they expect it to be. And I don't believe that God acts in such a way as our prayers are intended to force God's hand based on our whims, our wishes, and our wills 
to change the world around us in a way that changes free will or creates an unfair advantage. The other thing that's complicated about our Gospels is Jesus, the incarnate Word of God, left this realm of existence with unanswered prayers. Three times in the Gospel of John, at the Last Supper, the communion that we're going to celebrate, Jesus prays over just 11 disciples. Lord, let them be one as you and I, the Father, are one. There are 49,000 Christian denominations in our world today. That is an unanswered prayer. Three times in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, in the Garden of Gethsemane, He prays, let this cup pass from me but not my will, but thy will be done. A sense of trust that I'm going to name in my prayer what my wish, what my heart is, but I'm going to trust to your providence and your work and to not get in the way. Jesus had unanswered prayers. So why pray? What difference does prayer then make? Well, for me, the important thing to know is it's not some magic trick where we get to tell God what to do. It's not our moment in the lap of Santa Jesus to say what I've always wanted was a pony, so give me a pony. When we lift up our hopes, our convictions, our needs, and our struggles, it is an opportunity for us to establish and to maintain a deeper relationship with God. That this nature of the relationship that we have in the midst of our prayers is such that God can speak to us, and we can speak to God, and we can share what matters to us, and to learn what matters to God. Theologian Howard Thurman in his book Creative Counter puts it this way, there's an inner and an outer relationship to the nature of religion, and there is an inner and an outer relationship to the nature of love. And it is in prayer where we get the outer effect of being in relationship, but it is informed by an inner being and an inner pattern. That's who we are as we establish relationship with God. In the midst of establishing a relationship with God, I don't think God wants us to pray for unfair advantage. So all of you looking ahead to the Super Bowl next week, if you've got a favorite as your pastor, don't pray for them. It's really not any better than a parking space. And I guarantee you there are an equal number of regrettably wrong fans who are praying the other way. And the Super Bowl will not be settled as a spiritual battle between the faithfulness of the people of Kansas City and San Francisco. God does not create unfair advantage. But what prayer can do is release anxiety and bring us peace. I don't know about you, but every step in my ministry trajectory and in my life has been about going where I didn't think I wanted to go. My calls into ministry, the opportunity to serve each of the churches that I've served in this annual conference, they were not how I scripted my life, including preparing to come here. And yet that which is unseen and that which is confusing and unknown, I can meet and establish my relationship with God and I can release that anxiety and find peace through the work of prayer it's a gift some other resources that might be helpful to you richard j foster's streams of living water he's got a section on the contemplative life 
that talks about the idea that prayer and contemplation is an opportunity to recenter us, to find things like peace, to find things like fire and conviction, to find the unexpected answer. That that's a tradition that only happens when we center ourselves in peace. Or Eugene Peterson, who's the author of The Message, wrote a book called Practice Resurrection, and it's exploration of Paul in the epistles. And when he talks about Ephesians and the invitation to pray without ceasing, and more importantly as a pastor to say, pray for me as I pray for you, he talks about it being this beautiful, reciprocated relationship so that we might bring each other peace. The last thing that prayer does, in my opinion, is it attunes us to God, but more importantly, to others. Every time we pray, Lord, help another, the question that should follow in our hearts is, and how can you use me? Lord, help this person. And what would you ask of me then to do? It's what motivates the giver's heart to make a difference in things like Super Bowl of Sunday next week or even the Sulphur Springs food gifts that you brought as a part of our communion celebration today. When we attune ourselves to God and who God loves, it allows us to be in movement with God together in the world. And it's ultimately what allows for healing to take place. Physician Larry Dossey wrote a book, the formative book on it, called Healing Words about medical research between the intersection of prayer and medicine. And he talks, as a doctor, about the influential power of love and the sense of attunement to God and to another. What does it then mean? Who then are we praying to? Does it have to be loud? Can it be quiet? He explores all of those things in that book. One other resource that informed my time today is this one. It's called The New Brain, How the Modern Age is Rewiring Your Mind. It's by Richard Restack, also a physician. Uh, he wrote the book uh, uh, Mozart's Mind and the Fighter Pilot. Uh, if you were into that book a while back, bestseller. The New Brain, Dr. Restack argues the idea that not only are we being rewired by social media and the news, because our brain is developing patterns that says what we see begins to eliminate a barrier between our perceptions about what is actually happening to us and what we are watching, what a challenge that is. But it also lifts up the challenge that there are patterns in our life, prayer, meditation, and music, that allow us to heal those connections, that allow us to reacclimate ourselves to a providential God and a grace-filled, loving God who will reshape our lives and expectations. Ultimately, I'm struck by the work of the Benedictine monks. They had a Latin phrase that they used after the order of St. Benedict, ora et labora, pray and work. Ora et labora, pray and work. It is an opportunity for us to not just live in a moment of contemplation, separating ourselves from God, but to participate in the respiration of prayer such that we don't feel like it is a matter of answering yes or no at the flip of a coin, but that we are connecting with the God of the universe who cares deeply for us. In a moment's time, we're going to celebrate the sacrament of communion. The Methodist Church affirms two sacraments, communion and baptism, but the simple truth is sacrament meaning holy moment. Prayer is a holy moment. John Wesley felt like reading scripture and daily prayer were the two requirements for the life of faith.
Paul calls us to pray without ceasing, to offer prayers for others and ourselves, to be the kind of people that say, I'm going to pray so God can use me anywhere, Lord, anytime. My final affirmation, church, is this. God loves to hear you pray. Whether it's loud, in the practice of your life, in your heart or in your story, God is deeply in love with your pattern of prayer. Because it's bridging relationship. It's growing hearts. And it's expanding the opportunity for God's work in our world together. So let's pray.